Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast, back with L.A. Marzulli, author of a number of books, including the Nephilim Trilogy. How many Nephilim do you think roam this planet now, L.A.? Well, a lot of them are underground. Um, for instance, the ones that are in Kandahar. And, and the thing, the alarming thing about that, George, we have no idea how old that thing was. I mean, the shooter that was there that came on the record anonymously, we have to you know, disguise his voice and, and pisculate his face, he said that the, that the stench of that thing was like, like a, a pile of rotted corpses, which I've never smelled anything like that, but I got a hunch it smells really bad. The question is, was he 2,000 years old, 1,000, 3,000? We have right. no idea. We don't know. And, yeah, we don't know, but there's more. There's others of them. And the, what, what alarmed us or what kind of blew us away is we got together with Steve Quayle and we realized that Quayle's giant and our giant were two different giants, two different times, two different locations. So we know that there's more than one, absolutely. And we have a, another witness who was in Kandahar province, and when he was doing cave fighting, get this, this is in the film, and we had to disguise his voice and everything else too, because these people were taking a risk coming on the record. He said when, when they were being trained to fight in the caves, the instructor goes, aim high. And they were going, what do you mean aim high? You just, just take my word for it, aim high. That's all he would say. Well, why are we aiming high when, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to knock the guy in the chest and in the head, that type of thing. No, no, it, you want to aim high. That's, that was the cave training. And so, you know, the rest is history. I was approached by a guy from the deep state <clears throat> and threatened three ways. And the reason, and I'm not making this up. I think I've told you this once before, but, it, you know, new audience, new people need to hear this. Absolutely. I was approached by a guy from a deep state in Dallas at a conference. He had set up a meeting. And I, I had security with me. The guy was packing. My, my security guy was legally packing. He was there to protect me. This guy showed me his badge, showed me his, you know, uh, alphabet agency thing. And then his lead conversation to me was, well, <clears throat> what kind of, what kind of uh, phone do you have? And I go, I have an iPhone. Is it encrypted? I go, no. He goes, well, you know, LA, they could, they could find kitty port on that. And I was taken, immediately taken aback by that. Myself. Like they were going to accuse you of something. Exactly. Next thing he goes, what kind of car do you drive? I drive a, a 1991 Mercedes SL500, which I restored. I bought it for next to nothing. And, oh, beautiful know. cars. Yeah, I gave, I gave Tom a 1985 SL as a gift. <laughs> They're just great. He goes, well, you know, you could have an accident with that car, and um, <clears throat> we have ways of making that happen. So at this moment, I'm looking at him kind of going, this is unbelievable, saying to myself. And I'm scared. The third thing, he goes, do you have any kids? I go, yeah, I have two daughters. He goes, well, you know, one of them could be go missing and never be found. This is, this is his opening salvo. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I get it. You can do all that because you guys have all the power and I'm just a little worm because I got nothing. You can do all that, but you can't do that to me unless the living God allows it. And he'd never heard that before, and that shut him up, at least for a little bit. So about two months later... I had the almost near-death experience with the with the sports car. I was driving up one of the cars, mm. and all of a sudden I hear this tink. I lose control of the steering. There's no steering, and I'm headed to the cliff. Jam on the brakes, crank the wheel to the left, fishtail to the stop, get out, pop the hood, and I look at the timing belt. And when the tow truck comes, I, I didn't say a word. I just said, hey, look at this. What do you think? The guy kind of looks at it carefully, and he goes, do you have any enemies? The belt was cut in three seconds. Oh, jeez, L.A., you got to yep. be careful. Yep. 
Do the Nephilim have our kind of technology? I mean, look how we've advanced technologically. Have have they gotten that kind of technology? Are they still living, as you said, in a cave, but are they living like cavemen? That, that's a really good question. Um, the, you know, the Nephilim, the hybrid entities. I would say this, that what we're seeing, um, and, and um, Dr. David Jacobs wrote about this, walking amongst us, they can pass as human. These are the modern-day Nephilim, in my opinion, are the hybrid entities that people report having encounters with. They're not giants. They're not. No, they're not. And here's what's here's what's something interesting. The, um, our work on the Paraca skulls. We went out. I was out with Tim Alberino, and we, we went out way out into the reserve, and with an archaeologist, Peruvian archaeologist, and he showed us where they lived. Well, they had taken whalebone. And, and and made this like arch and then covered this arch way with, with seal skin and then put mollusk shells on top of that. Thing must have stunk to high heaven. And then they burrowed down twenty or thirty feet. So they lived underground. They weren't giants. The Paraka skulls are not giants. And I'm looking at this going like, Well, I asked the archaeologist, I said, Well, did they find evidence of torchlight down there? He goes, No. I go, Well, how did they see? So I took the skull when I got back to the States, I took one of the one of the replicas of a skull that Joe Taylor makes, and I, I went to an optometrist friend of mine, and I had him look at it. And immediately, and this is all in the film, uh, one of the films that we did, DNA, the final results. And he looked at it, and he goes, well, first of all, the orbits, the eye sockets, are about 30% larger than the humans. Second, which is just incredible, the second uh, factor is that the pupillary distance between the pupils should be about 65 millimeters. That's normal for a human being. These aren't. These are about 42 millimeter. I go, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, when you add all this together, larger eye sockets, the narrow pupillary distance, this thing probably had night vision and could see in the dark. I about fell over. He knew nothing about the cave, you know, cave dwellers, nothing about the underground Paracas people. And so what I discovered was that one of the Nephilim tribes, get this drum roll, please, is called the Horites. And the Horites are cave dwellers. That doesn't necessarily mean that they were giants. Yes, one of the Nephilim tribes, the Anakim, was long necks. Some of them were giants. I get that. But what we're seeing is there seems to be different genetic traits for different tribes. The Horites were, were cave dwellers. They weren't giants. But these elongated skulls going back to Paracas, we know that the DNA points to a Middle Eastern or a European uh, haplogroup. And that rewrites history. They shouldn't be there, George, but they're there. Should we be concerned that they're there? Well, I mean, the, the quick answer to that is um, if, if hybrids are walking amongst us, and I believe that they are, um, I've talked to people who have had encounters with them. Um, I don't want to have an encounter with them, but I've talked to people who have. And it, it's very, very unnerving. Um, these entities are modern-day Nephilim, in my opinion. They are a mix of seed. They are a mixture of seed. Do they know what they are? Yeah, some of they them do. do. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they do. But I haven't sat down and talked with one. Um, I just, you know, and, and I don't, I'm not sure I want to. But, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. Have they infiltrated uh, politics, governments, uh, things like that? Well, I mean, that's, that's a rabbit hole. And, and, and you know, I, I can speculate on that. There's, there's no way to know. Uh, the short answer to that is yes, that the the whole Luciferian elite, and, and it's all one big happy little family there, 
But yeah, I mean, there's there's an agenda. There's there's a cabal, um, and it's dark, and it has an agenda, and it, it's a very managed agenda, and it's controlled by the prince of the power of the air. What was it, L.A., that first got you interested in the Nephilim? That got you to do the trilogy, the DVDs, and everything else? It was Dr. I.D. Thomas's book. I mean, as a, as a Christian, as an early Christian, this goes back 40 years now, 41 years, okay? So I'm reading the Bible for the first time, So, and I'm, I'm trying to sort all this stuff out. So I get, I get to the flood of Noah, and I freak out. I go, what's this guy doing? I get to the Tower of Babel. I freak out again. Why is he doing this? the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you sit there and you go, you know, this this Old Testament God, he's nasty, he's vengeful, he's maniacal, he's capricious, and you know, murderous. It's like, what's going on? Genocidal. And the, finally you get to the mandate when the children of Israel go in and take the promised land, and it's wipe everything out, kill every man, woman, and child, burn all the animals, destroy everything. That was it. And I, I just, you know, I knew about Jesus. I love Jesus. That was really cool. I got that. But I could never reconcile what I was reading in the Old Testament with what, um, you know, with the New Testament with Jesus. It seemed like two different people. Enter Dr. I.D.E. Thomas's book, The Omega mm-hmm. Conspiracy, changed my life. And when you factor in the Nephilim, everything I just said changes completely. The flood happens because it's move, counter-move, move, counter-move. The flood is a, is a counter-move by the Most High God to wipe out the Nephilim. The Tower of Babel is when it starts to come back in again with Nimrod, which is just, just absolutely incredible. And there are ties to Nimrod and Gilgamesh. This is why it goes back in the whole Anunnaki thing. It could be, they could be the same entities that we're talking about. So there is a connection, in my opinion, between Nimrod and Gilgamesh. He becomes a Nephilim. He becomes a Gibor through ritualistic sex magic. Well, jump into the, in the modernity with Aleister Crowley. Same thing, Babylon working, ritual sex magic, but I digress. So from Babel, it gets into Sodom and Gomorrah. Why is Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? Same old thing. Nephilim, finally, the children of Israel going to the promised land. Who's there? The giants are there. We were like grasshoppers. The moment I understood, and thank, thank God for Dr. Thomas's book, everything made sense. And then I realized, once I got a hold of the seed war, Genesis 3.15, that we are in a cosmic conflict which has a beginning, and it's going to have an end. And I think we're ramping up to it. But they're here, and they've been around for eons, and their seed is now mingling with the seed of men, but they're not cleaving to it. This is the work of Jim Williamson. They're not cleaving. There's no marriage like there was in the days of Noah, which is why Jesus says this for a prophecy here. It'll be like the days of Noah when I return. Why would he point to that for crying out loud? Right, exactly. That was a horrible time period. Absolutely. But that's what it's going to be like. And I think that we're in that period of time. And also a reason I think that you continue this mission, uh, you are keeping the memory of your friend and production partner, Richard Shaw, alive. Mm. <laughs> I, think, I think there's an undertone there that, uh, and you, you ought to be commended for that. You know, I miss him. It's not a day that goes by I don't think of him. And everything I know about filmmaking, I, I tip my hat off to Richard. It's, uh, I, I hope he taught me well. I, I, he, he did his best. I'm hoping I'm living up to it. <laughs> I think he is. He's, he's up there now going right on. <laughs> right. Should we, as human beings, be concerned about what's going on here? Well, absolutely. I mean, if, if it's like the days of Noah, if there are hybrids running around, I, I, I defer once again to Dr. David Jacobs. Um, and it, it, it's happening. I mean, Al Matthews, who we interviewed 
for our, our, our film on UFOs. I mean, Al had an encounter with a woman uh, when she took off those glasses and she sat on them and he pushed her away and the eye shape shifted. The eye shifted into serpentine-type eyes and she let out a, a hideous laugh that totally freaked him out and he ran out of there. He was absolutely freaked out. It was a hybrid. And I had stories, not a lot of them, but people write me these things. They shoot me emails, and then I call them and spend time with them on the phone. Most of them don't want any any type of publicity, and, and that way you know that you've got pay dirt. If somebody wants money or you know they, they want fame or fortune or whatever, they want to get paid for the information, that's a whole different deal. But most of the people, I would say over 90% of the people I've ever dealt with don't want anything. They, and in fact, they want to remain anonymous. They're, they're embarrassed or not. They're still kind of sorting out, well, why did this happen to me type of thing. But I've, I've had people come on the record that have had encounters with hybrid beings. It was a pastor friend of mine, Mike McClung, who had an encounter with one. I think I've told you this before, but he was out for a jog, uh, uh, or like a prayer walk on a beautiful summer day. And in the distance, a very tall, very athletic woman, probably six foot four, six foot five, could be a volleyball player, basketball player, but platinum blonde hair, uh, tied back, and she's running. And she, as she gets closer, their eyes meet, and she's got blue eyes. Well, the eyes shift into black when she's about 10 feet away. They just go totally black. All the whites are gone. They're just black eyes. And he immediately freaks out, goes into warfare, praying. And as she comes by, she bares her teeth and growls at him. Now, what do you think that was? And he, 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 when this happened, he texted me immediately. We talked, and it is, and his sign-off was welcome to the war. So, you know... This gets into the black-eyed kid stuff with David Weverly. Mm -hmm. We covered some of this in our watchers. Um, stuff is happening, you know, but the thing that people need to take away without the fear is greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So um, as, as a born-again, spiritual Christian, I have the authority, not my authority, but the authority of the Messiah. Um, if I see something like this, I can rebuke first ask questions later, and that's sort of the motto. How much of an influence, L.A., is Satan with all of this at this point? I think all one needs to do is look at the lawlessness in the world and what's going on and realize that the prince of the power of the air is alive and well and doing his thing. Is, um, is he winning? Well, he's, he's, he wins temporarily. It, it looks like he's winning, but he's, he's already defeated. He was defeated at the cross. That changed everything. That's, and that's, that's, we see the Nephilim appear over and over and over and over again. Josephus, first century Jewish historian, writes about it, and then it all just kind of disappears. When? After the cross, because it's, it's game over. In fact, there's a paper, I remember Dr. Thomas, my mentor, uh, showed me that paper by this theologian called Bollinger. And I also did some more research on Eastern um, Christianity, Eastern Orthodox, who talk about the same thing, when, when, and it's in the Bible. When Jesus dies on the cross, most people don't know this, but it's there. When he dies on the cross, he goes to the lower parts uh, called Tartarus. It's, it's, the, it's the lowest part, and there, according to Bollinger, it's a proclamation to the fallen angel. Now, what do you mean it's the lowest part? It's the lowest part. In other words, there seems to be compartments, and this, this, is, the, this is like the gloomiest dungeon, the lowest part. Is it like hell? Tartarus. It's like what? Hell? Well, it would be like hell, but it would be even darker and, and, and the lowest part. It's called Tartarus. Huh. And, and right. he's there, and it's a proclamation to those angels that sinned 
on Mount Hermon. They're bound in chains, but that's why, that's why it was a suicide mission. They knew what their fate was. They broke the law. Bam, that's the punishment. But they had been told, this conjecture on my part, they had been told that there's going to be a jailbreak. You're going to get out. It's going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. And they were promised stuff in the dragon's kingdom. So when the proclamation, when Jesus, he goes there first, George. He goes there first. And it's a proclamation to those angels, those fallen beings that did the unthinkable in the days of Jared on Mount Hermon and started the Nephilim by mingling the seed. He basically says, no jailbreak, you're not getting out. And that's when everything changes. The, the dragon, Satan, changes his tactics, and this prophecy ties in with Daniel. Their seed will mingle with the seed of men, but there'll be no marriage contract. And that's exactly what we see with the abduction phenomenon. Exactly what we see. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.